Paul and I have been married for uh, 12 years today, actually. And um, yes, and we were very well into our marriage when I realized that he could wiggle his ears like that. And uh, it's not that I questioned everything, but it was quite a surprise. It was quite a surprise. Um, <clears throat> sometimes the kids will be sitting at the table and they say, do it, wiggle your ears. So funny. I want to start off this morning's uh, sermon, Nice and Light, by asking the question, what are the stones that you throw? By stones you throw, I mean the things that you and I lob at each other, fairly or unfairly, based on our perception of our opinion, based on our perception of their opinion, and also their experience, the, the slice of information we hold or, or our stance on certain issues. It has become all too common in, in the face of disagreement to just launch stones at one another, creating and, and crafting arguments uh, that are pummeled in succession in order to break down our opposition, to weaken them, and then to render their arguments useless. What are the stones that you throw? Perhaps you are already considering the actions that others, uh, uh, that, uh, that you have experienced uh, uh, from others. Maybe even uh, actions that other people have taken against you. Maybe you've felt this from other people. And as I was writing the sermon, I was thinking about the actions of others, about how I have had stones thrown at me. But I would like to invite us to do some better work here. Let's consider if we have ever thrown stones. Have I participated in pummeling pursuits for the sake of what I think is right? And has this served me? Has it served the other? A few years ago, I found myself in the midst of a pretty good Facebook conversation, okay? Maybe you've witnessed these or been in one yourself. You see, we were actually fighting about the right way to follow Jesus, ironically. And I, and I want you to know that I had some very good points. <laughs> and I articulated them well with my fingers. And I had scripture to back up my arguments. And I was certain that I was right. And actually, to be honest to this day, I still am certain <laughs> that I was right. But that's not the point. It's really not the point. Truly. As I reflected on this online interaction that I had had with a, with a mentor with whom I was meeting face-to-face, -face, not over Facebook, my mentor suggested something that unwound me, maybe even disarmed me. They asked, what if you need to see them, not get them to agree with you? They went on to suggest that it is well known that good and transforming conversation does not happen online or in email inboxes or over text messages. 
good, transforming, profitable connection takes place when we do the work of seeing and hearing and being present to one another physically, spiritually, emotionally. We continue uh, today in our series in Acts, and we are looking at the minister, Stephen. Stephen was well known for being the first martyr of Christianity, meaning that he uh, was killed for expressing his faith in Jesus. And while so much could be shared about and preached about living and proclaiming uh, our faith in the face of opposition, I, I want to invite us to approach the text from a different angle. Let us consider and confess our stone-throwing tendencies. Let us consider the attitudes and the actions that look different than stone-throwing. And let us consider how we might soften to the newness of the Spirit. So with that in mind, would you open your Bibles with me um, to Acts? We're going to actually start in Acts chapter 6, the end of of Acts chapter 6. And we're going to read that section before we kind of get to to Stephen's shining moment. So would you uh, with me go to Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 8. The heading of my Bible says, Stephen seized, which is kind of hard to say. Acts 6, 8 through 15. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition rose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Hold your Bible open. We're going to come back to this in just a second. So here we have Stephen. He's a Hellenistic Jew. As Pastor Paul mentioned last week, meaning that he was not from Jerusalem or near Jerusalem, but he was a part of the community of Jewish people that were scattered all around the Mediterranean. And he was one of of seven deacons called on to do the distinct ministry of service and care for the community. We have deacons in our congregation. Actually, just for just a brief moment, I would like to invite, if you're willing, those who are serving as deacons right now to stand. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Keep, keep standing, keep, just for a second. Sorry, not a stand-up, sit-down. Thank you for your ministry of care and compassion for our community. Stephen was a deacon. 
And it's noted in Acts that Stephen's ministry in particularly really took off. It, and it wasn't because that he was this really great guy or, and he had this really great personality. It was actually that he was, as it says in 6 verse 8, a man full of God's grace and power. And this kind of God presence, this kind of being filled with the Holy Spirit quality was part of a new thing that God was doing. And this new thing was incredibly agitating to the people who were preserving what God had been doing. And so instead of asking questions or seeking some kind of new understanding, or at least getting their facts straight, the members of Stephen's local synagogue, they started to stir up the people, and they start to plot against Stephen. I don't want us to skip by their accusations, their false accusations. It says in, in verse 11, they say that Stephen was speaking blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And then later in verse 14, uh, they, these false uh, witnesses say, we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. What, what is at stake here for these synagogue leaders, this Sanhedrin, is the effectiveness of the law in leading God's people. And this is high stakes. These are high stakes. But before we begin throwing stones at the stone throwers, let us try to see this from their perspective. You see, for generations and generations, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, and then the other laws that are listed in the Torah, which are the first five books of the Old Testament, these were the rules and guidelines for the people. The law was, was this law, God's law, was in place outside of state or governmental law. And so it meant to support and sustain the people of God in their relationships with God and with each other. That's a good thing. This was a good thing. These laws helped the people of God in the wilderness and in exile as they created a new home for themselves and a new community in the promised land. And what we now as post-Jesus people see is that the law prepared the people for Jesus. This was good news. But when the law became the religion, not the way of creating access to religion and, and to God, but, but when the law became the religion, the people got it wrong. And Stephen shared with them about how they may have gotten it wrong. And what transpires in, in Acts chapter 7 verses 1 through 50 is Stephen's response to the claims that he was blaspheming against God and Moses. He preaches a, a sermon. And most of this sermon is not news to the people who are listening. He proves, actually, that there are commonalities in their belief. Stephen runs through the whole story of Scripture. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, 
Moses, the prophets, David, Solomon. You can read it. 50 verses, I tell you. That's a lot of talking. He says that we are more in common than we are uncommon. What he's trying to do, this, this method, is trying to get the people, the Sanhedrin, and him to see eye to eye. This was maybe also to, to calm their anger. See, I'm not speaking blasphemous words against Moses. I, I believe in the law of Moses. I believe in God. He wasn't trying to be their enemy. He was trying to be their friend. That these threats that they had perceived were housed in the person of Stephen, they, they weren't real. Verse 15 says that all those sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at his face. And they saw that his face was that of an angel. I wonder what they saw beyond that. Could they have seen something of a friend in Stephen? Someone who would walk with them along the way. Not just a, a foe to get rid of. Oh, if only they could have seen something like that. Stephen concludes his, his connection-making sermon, uh, hopes that they might see eye to eye. And, and what happens is a tragedy. We're going to continue the story uh, in, ver in chapter 7, starting in verse 51. This is the end of Stephen's sermon. He says, You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. Continuing on in verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. You see, the conversation takes a turn. Stephen gets truthful. And this truth is threatening. And he calls out stiff necks, hard hearts, and closed ears. These conditions are not new for the people of God. These conditions have been in effect for generations, just like the presence of the law. 
those with stiff necks, with hard hearts, with closed ears, were not just keen to their own opinions and perspectives at this point. They were resisting the Holy Spirit. About a week and a half ago, I uh, woke up with a stiff neck. Apparently, uh, after you turn 30, you just go to sleep and wake up with one of these, okay? Watch out. Uh, and I had such a hard time doing anything well. I, could not tur- I couldn't turn my head. So the kids would ask me, Yo, look over here, and I'd have to like turn my whole body to look at the thing that they were asking me to see. Uh, I, I, could, I couldn't lift things. This arm was like weaker and sorer. Uh, sleeping was a nightmare. I had to have like two pillows propped under one arm, laying only on one side with heat here. I mean, it was a mess. I could not do the things I was meant to do, that I wanted to do, that, that I was capable of doing. Breathing hurt, okay? And that was all because I had a physically stiff neck. What Stephen is referring to here is being spiritually stiff-necked, spiritually hard-hearted, and spiritually closed-eared. You see, the spiritually stiff-necked have a hard time turning to the side to view a neighbor to look around, to consider the landscape, or to get a view of God's activity. Spiritually stiff-necked people are set to look at things only one way, because their neck cannot allow them to look at another way. They are just not yet capable of adjusting to consider another view or another vision. This stiff-neckedness is sometimes rewarded, actually, in circles of of power, religious or otherwise. To be someone that is immovable, unflappable, to be dead certain, can seem like like sureness or, or conviction. But there's a difference. The spiritually hard hearted have nursed a calcified soul. They are very, uh, there are very little life signs in a heart like this. There's no movement, no change given exertion or, or rest. There's no adjustment to the experiences that go on within the heart or outside the heart. A hard heart struggles in compassion and finds difficulty in considering another. The spiritually closed-eared are not attuned to the noises of the Spirit. Closed ears lack the curiosity to uncover deeper truths of what they do hear. Closed ears may miss the nuance of, of tone or pitch, the variety in a symphony of creation and humanity. Closed ears may choose to only hear what they want to hear and tone the rest out. Before we point the finger, before we accuse others of their stiff-neckedness or their hard-heartedness or their closed-earedness, we must first consider our necks, our hearts, our ears. 
And so I ask, when have I, when have you, listened for what I have wanted to hear, not what was actually being said? When have I failed to turn to see my neighbor? When have I settled for my view of things and ignored the views of others? When have I hardened my heart to another, choosing not to adjust towards them in any sort of way? Oh, how I wish that the people surrounding Stephen that day would have considered their own necks, their own hearts, their own ears. Oh, how well it would have gone for them. A whole Sanhedrin softened and opened and loosened to the Spirit of God amongst them. This is the story that is missing in Acts and really through all Scripture, where the religious system begins to listen and begins to turn and begins to soften. But what we read is in some ways predictable because we see it so much even in these days, in our systems of power, in our government, even in our own families. In some ways to see and to read this story in scripture reminds us that not much has changed that the same things that plagued uh, Christians and communities of faith thousands of years ago still plague us. At the word of their stiffness and their hardness and their closeness, I want to notice, I want us to notice what happens to Stephen's opponents. They become furious, Scripture says. Literally in the Greek, it says that they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. You would think that this could have been a cure for their hard-heartedness. Wouldn't that have been awesome? Oh, if only. Instead, in their pain, in their cut to the heartness, they respond with anger, not confession. They respond with aggression, not listening. They throw stones. They gnash their teeth at Stephen, which dentists everywhere agree is the main cause of neck pain. Stiffness of the neck, okay? When you grind your teeth and gnash your teeth, it has major effects on your neck. And then they cover their ears. They close them even more. And then they begin yelling at the top of their voices. I wonder if they think they can drown out the sound of the Holy Spirit. I imagine the scene and I giggle a little bit because it looks like two-year-olds having a tantrum. And what stands in contrast is Stephen's face. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen, seeing Jesus standing with God. Stephen, seeing heaven open up. I can imagine that they could not even bear to see the face of the one who had surrendered his whole self, his neck, his heart, his ears, his voice, his body, his soul to the care of the creator. Stephen was found soft, softening, open, pliable, attentive to the spirit of God until the very, very end of his life. 
Even his last words come from a deep well of belonging to and believing in God. Do not hold this sin against them. Even as the stones rain down on Stephen, his words bear witness to his being united with Christ. The stone throwers, they're hoping to separate Stephen from religion. That if he says something or does something that goes against this religion, oh, he's separated from it, from us, and literally from the world, dead and gone. But what these stone throwers don't know is that the stones they are throwing cannot separate Stephen from God. The stones we throw, because of the unifying work of God through Christ, these stones cannot separate us from God, and they cannot separate us from each other, even if we throw them hard even if we mean for them to damage severely, even when the stones that we throw, we don't even know that we're throwing. The act of throwing stones does not separate the beloved from the beloved. The act of receiving stones being thrown does not separate the beloved from the beloved. This is what the Spirit has been doing since the dawn of creation. And Stephen bears witness to this in his life and certainly in his death. Behind the curtain of, of Stephen's life is a, the life of another man. You may have caught it. Saul. Saul was a stone thrower. Saul approved of all of this stone throwing. In fact, he encouraged it. He told people, pick up stones, throw them. When you get angry, keep going. Persecute the church. If they don't agree with you, pummel them. If they hurt you, hurt them right back and hurt them harder. If they tell lies, they tell lies, yeah, you just go ahead and let them know what that means for them. You see, he was a fanatic for the Jewish faith, and he would do anything and everything to protect it. He was the stiffest of necks, the hardest of hearts. But this is kind of a little teaser. There was a turning point for him as well. This now, uh, at the end of seven, uh, chapter 7 and the beginning of 8, is a very big pivot in the book of Acts. It's a, a change and a focus from the early apostles. And what become, and we see what becomes a kind of tumbling out transformation of a man who used to be called Saul. And what I so admire about Saul was his softening to Jesus. His heart, his neck, his ears, his eyes, his life began to mold into the likeness of Christ in the most dramatic conversion that's ever recorded in Scripture. And just wait, you'll, you'll hear about this in a couple of weeks. Lindsay Leshevsky, who, who read Scripture for us this morning and gave announcements, she will be preaching on Saul's conversion. Like me, I, I am sure that many of us have been stone throwers. 
I usually throw stones when my heart is hard, when my neck is tense, when my ears are unattuned to anything new. But I've wondered, could the church, could the church, could people who love Jesus be leaders in softening hearts and necks and opening ears and minds? Could the church, could people who follow Jesus be known for their ability to look to the right and to the left and and see their neighbor and soften towards them even if they don't understand them? Could those who love and follow Jesus be found with ears wide open, always curious to know a little bit more than what they're first presented? Could those who love and follow Jesus move away from the Facebook stone throwing, the text ranting, the email spewing, and consider a face-to-face approach to the softening of the Spirit with us? Could it be as we practice this that we come to discover a, a filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, a filling of the Holy Spirit personally for us, certainly, but also communally? Could it be that I might see the Spirit of God in someone else that I would rather throw stones at? I think, it, I think it's true. I think I've see, seen it before. I think I've seen it modeled by other people. And I think the invitation is here for us to receive. Would you pray with me? God, would you soften us? Our necks are stiff. Our hearts are hard. It's really so much easier to close our ears. It's really so much easier to just throw stones. But God, I ask... Because your scripture tells us the good news that we could lay those things down. That we could actually be found in a community of people who love you. Being ones who soften to you. And so God, as we come to this table, this gracious meal, where you offer yourself to us in relationship in love, in healing, for our healing, would we receive it? God, if there are things we actually need to leave in our seats, things that are tight, things that are bound, things that cause us to want to throw stones, I ask that we would truly lay them down. And that as we come to face you, that our faces might be full of your spirit. That our lives might be full of your spirit. You can do it. And so we release ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.